Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm one of your hosts here, Dana Osband, here with my friend and Chavruta, Ann Gordon. Our daf today, Masachah Pesachim, daf bet. Thank you to everybody who joined us for our wonderful Sema Masachah de Ravin, to all of our amazing speakers. Uh, you really shared so many insights and I think really enhanced our understanding um, of all of Masachah de Ravin, which I know is a challenge for many people. And as we say, the doc does not wait. And now we're on to our new Masachat. But I really am recording this just filled with so much gratitude and joy uh, after experiencing this seum with so many of you. It really was a joy. It, it really was wonderful. I know also there were many of you who listened who were not able to make it. And we don't want you to feel left out. We are glad that you're here and listening as well. Um, I say, Yerdena, I'm amazed that you remembered to say Masachat Pesachim. Uh, introducing it because I feel like we have not quite left Erevin behind us, but but we will soon today jump into the into the topics of Masachat Pesachim, and I think I think we will uh, get enveloped quite quickly. Yes, and so for those of you who still want a little taste of Erevin, we will be posting uh, a YouTube video of the CM itself in case you missed it. Uh, we also hope to at some point this week to actually share a link to. Um, the written words of what many of our speakers shared. Uh, there was a great presentation on actually constructing a modern day Eruv. Uh, someone shared a beautiful poem and also some other words of Torah. So stay tuned for that on our Facebook page and our WhatsApp group later this week. And uh, again, not to leave entirely, because as we do say, when we finish a Masachet, that we do hope to return to you. So maybe this will be a little bit of a return. But now on to Masachet Pesachim. So this Masachat is obviously about Pesach. It's interesting that its title is in a plural, Pesachim. And there's a few reasons given for why that is. One is, is that there actually are two times during the year when Pesach actually could be celebrated. Really not the holiday itself, but more the bringing of the Korban Pesach. So the holiday is really supposed to be in the month of Nisan. But if for some reason a person was Tameh, and was unable to actually participate in the Korban Pesach in Nisan, there was the holiday of Pesach Sheni, which occurred in ER the next month, when they could bring their Korban then. And therefore, it's the idea of Pesachim, right? There's not just one Pesach or one time to bring the Korban Pesach during the year, but there's actually two. Uh, another one that Rav Scheinzolt suggests is that uh, actually, if you look at the makeup of the Masachet itself, it really deals with sort of two categories of halakha. The first is the halakha that pertains to getting rid of chametz, of the leaven products that somebody would have in their house. And that's actually the topic that we will start with with Perak Aleph. And that takes up a few of the uh, prakim. And then the other set of halakha is all the halachot that pertain to the actual uh, giving of the korban Pesach itself. And so therefore it's psachim, right? Like almost in a way, it's two separate holidays, right? There's the holiday around the chametz, the matzot, and then there's the holiday around the Korban Pesach itself. So those were just a few words of introduction I wanted to give. Um, one other thing that's interesting to note is, is that as we go through this Masachet, or if you're you know, using sort of the traditional Vilna Shas, you'll see that there's not actually a lot of commentary on the Korban Pesach piece in terms of the Roshonim. Um, and I think some of that is, is that, you know, the Mishnah is sort of recording. Remember, by the time the Mishnah is written, the Korban Pesach was no ready, was already not being done, right? The Beit HaMikdash had already been destroyed. Um, it certainly is always important for the Mishnah 
to record halachot, right? This is how we ended Masachat Ravine with a lot of halachot about things that were different in the Beit HaMikdash versus the rest of the country. So the mission is always interested in recording those types of law, right? But I think it is interesting to note that when it comes to sort of the next generation or the next set of commentators, which is the Rishonim who really comment on the Mishnah and the Gemara itself, they're not going to spend that much time on it because it's not really uh, particularly practical, right? The practical piece for us is really what pertains to the laws of Chametz. And indeed, this is where we begin, right? So Pesachim, Pesach, there's several different components to Pesach, the holiday itself. As you said, Yordana, there's the Chag HaMatzot, there's the Matzah factor. There's also, of course, the Korban Pesach. But there's also the preliminary uh, pre-Pesach, getting ready for Pesach, which is where our Masechet really begins. And it makes sense, meaning this is the chronological experience of the holiday. And so we begin with beforehand. And the beforehand includes, of course, getting rid of chametz. And I would say also that we're going to begin our discussion of the beforehand uh, by looking at the, the biblical verses, the Torah verses that lead into the discussion that then takes place first in the Mishnah and then in the Gemara. This approach, I would say, I, I think that probably just about every teacher I've ever had, you know, has has used this approach. When we have halacha that ha- is so clearly rooted in the biblical verse, you look first to the biblical verse. I would say perhaps Rabbi Moshe Khan, who, again, I've said, mentioned his name before, he's taught so many women, so much Gemara um, and halacha. I would say that he he really exemplifies this approach because always you start with the most primary source and you move on down. So here we're going to say that first I'm in Sefer Shmot, the book of Exodus, chapter 12. Um, and it is, in fact, the mitzvah of the holiday of Pesach. Shivat yamim matzot tochelu. You're going to eat seven days. You're going to eat matzot. Ach bayom harishon tashbitu soor mi batechem. But on the first day, um, tashbitu, stop, cease, excise, seur, leaven from your homes. He kol achol ochel chametz benechreta hanefesh ahim Yisrael miyom harishon ad yom hashvi. Because if you eat chametz, the one who eats leavening, leavened bread on the time of Pesach, uh, the punishment for that is the punishment of karet, which is loosely translated as being cut off. And what Karate really means is complicated, but it is clearly, I think your Dana, you've already said this in Masacharevin, it's clearly a bad punishment, one of the worst. Um, okay. And then we've got another verse, now Yudbet Pasak Yudtet, which says, again, Shivat Yamim, these seven days, Soor Lo the leaven you will not find in your houses. So again, the idea is the, the wording is going to matter in the Gemara, but the the idea here is again, we start with the seven days and the fact that leavening must be removed from the home. And again, anybody who eats um, the chametz, the leavening, is you know, is is going to be cut off. Um, and then of course. The last verse is the next pack in Sefer Shemot. And again, it just says you're going to eat matzah for seven days and no leavened bread should be with you nor in your in your borders of your home. So when we turn to the actual parak, we begin with the 
halachot pertaining to getting rid of or making sure, rather, that the home has no leavening in it. Or l'arba asar, bodkin et hachametz l'or haner. So this is, we haven't really spoken much about the potential for wordplay within the rabbinic text of the mission of the Gemara. Here and there we have, but not for the most part. Here you really see it. Or l'arbasa yerdein, I know you're going to talk about the meaning of the word or here, but we see it twice in one, in, in just a few words. Or the and this is going to be a tr- tricky thing to, to translate, but that or that light or perhaps the evening of the 14th. Now, this means of the of the month, the Hebrew month of Nisan. You look for chametz, you check for chametz, by the light of the candle. So you've got two ors in the same sentence. If you have a place that you just never bring chametz there, you do not have to look. Nowadays, that might be. It depends how you keep your home, and it depends who lives in your home, as we're going to see throughout this Gemara. So now the question is, where do you have to look? Right? So then they're talking about what if you have wine barrels, you know, two rows of wine barrels in your cellar, and this is presumably a place where you might indeed bring some chametz over regular time, uh, over the, the course of the year. And Beit Shammai says, you have to check the, the, the whole, all the rows of these barrels throughout the entire cellar, wherever you have this, where, that whole room, let's say, or that whole area of the house. And Beit Hill says, no, you just look on the outside. If you don't see anything there, then you can trust that it never went further in to begin with. And there's a good deal of discussion of exactly what this means as we go through the Gemara. But I want to just say one more thing about the nature of this Gemara, especially because it is really so dramatically different from what we were just coming off of from Masachat Eruvin. And actually, I would say quite different from the bulk of what we saw in Masachat Brachot and Shabbat. Um, the next, I don't know how many, but several dapim of Masachat Pesachim are really characterized by what we call Midrash Halacha. Midrash Halacha so midrash is a tricky word, right? Because it basically means explication, and we can, you know, understand that that means some kind of interpretation of text. What's the difference between midrash halacha and straight up discussion of halacha and gemara? And the answer, I think, here is that what the midrash halacha does, or in this context, meaning when it's found in the gemara, is that not only is it going to pull apart the language of the mishnah, as opposed to simply the the halachic points, but really play with the language. It also goes back to the biblical verses. It tries to understand, could these be interpreted in different ways? Um, when we talk about explicating text, right, that's exactly what it's doing. Uh, and it will bring in other rabbinic texts. And again, explicate those texts as opposed to having, I would say, straight up dispute on psaq. What we've just seen here is Beit Hillel and Beit Shammai have a machloket. And that is a standard you know, the exactly the kind of dispute that we would expect to see between Beit Hillel and Beit Shammai. They have a different difference of approach. As you might guess, Beit Hillel's approach is a little bit more lenient, a little bit more user-friendly. Beit, Hill's, Beit Shammai's approach is a little bit more stringent. And you might then expect that the Gemara is going to argue out those two cases, let's say. And that is not where we begin at all. And that is not where we go for quite some time in this Masachet. So get settle back. We're going to play with language here. And, and you know, if we're people of the book and 
the book is all of these books, right? The written text of the Torah and the Mishnah and the Gemara. Here we are. And one, just one more quick thing, Midrash Halacha. There are collections of Midrash Halacha straight up. One is called the Mechilta. One is called the Sifra. One is called the Sifrei. We'll refer to these as we go. And I don't want you to worry about them too much, except for that they're, that the Midrash Halacha is not only found in the pages of the Gemara, perhaps not even specifically, especially found in the pages of the Gemara, is more primarily found in extra, you know, outside of the Gemara texts. Right. And it's important to mention, I think, about the Midrash Halacha and some of the books that you mentioned, that they may be related uh, to like a particular book of the Torah, right? Like they have more interpretation from particular verses from one of the books. Um, and this is all of this together with the Mishnah makes up what we call, you know, the whole of Tanaitic literature. Right. That is true. Um, I would say that we're going to talk about the early rabbinic interpretation books. We've got the Mechilta. There's two versions of the Mechilta. Mechilta de Rebbe Yishmael and Mechilta de Rashbi. That's Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. And basically, those, the reason I mentioned the Mechilta in particular is because that's, that's the Midrash Halacha that is working off of Sefer Shmot. And Sefer Shmot is, of course, where we get the story and the mitzvot most pertaining to Pesach. Yeah, so I'll start then, I guess, with how this Midrash Halacha unfolds. Um, and uh, I would encourage all of you to do some of your own reading on Midrash Halacha. But again, we'll, we'll spend some time, um, you know, talking a little bit more about it and some of the books involved with it and its authors. Um, but what the first staff really gets stuck on is this word or, right? Like, how could the word or, which means light, mean actually evening, right? Because we all know that we basically check for chametz in the evening of the 14th. Um, but why would you use the word or? Now, some of the commentators actually say that this was a very deliberate literary choice of Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi because or connotates something nicer than, let's say, e you know, the word evening, which connotates darkness. And so therefore, we, and we'll see this often in the Gemara and the Mishnah, right, that we sometimes use euphemisms for things because we sort of don't want to make a suggestion of something that could be dark or something that's not nice in our thoughts. And so we sort of use opposite language. Um, and so that could be one understanding of what's going on here. But what follows is something very interesting in the Gemara. First is a series of discussions of Sukim where the word or appears. And the Gemara basically asks, okay, well, usually, and what's very interesting is in all of the cases except for one, right, they say or actually means daytime, um, you know, and they use it. By, but then they try to explain, you know, by looking at the context of the Pasuk or something else about the Pasuk where they say, no, it's it's just a metaphor. It's not actually talking literally about daytime necessarily. Um, but in the middle of that, right, I think there's a total of, I think I counted seven psukim. In the middle of them, there's one that refers to night, right? Metive, right? They raise an objection, the Gemara. or. So here they're quoting Perak of Tehillim from Perak Memchet Pasuk Gimel, right? So Psalm 148, verse 3, where it says, right, we're, we're saying, you know, praise him, praise Hashem. All the stars of or. Ama or oraita who, right? So apparently here or actually must mean evening because we know that what? That stars only come out in the evening. Um, Hachika amar, halulu, um, halulu kol kochvim ha 
right? So what the verse is saying here, what this Pasuk is saying here is praise Hashem, all the stars that radiate. So it's not necessarily saying that uh, or is not really a noun here, right? But rather it's it's a description of the kol, of the kolchavim, right? These are stars that give off or that give off light. Right? So what it's saying is, is that these are stars that they radiate, right? In order to give uh, praise to God. So then the Gemara is asking, okay, but then are you saying that the ones that don't give off light, are they, they, they also don't give uh, a, a praise to, to Hashem? Now, I wasn't quite sure what they meant by that because our understanding now is, is that if you see a star, it's obviously giving off light. Is this some type of understanding that they had that there might be stars in the universe that we as humans don't see? Like, I didn't understand what are they referring to here as a star that could possibly not give off light. So I also thought this passage was interesting for that. And then it concludes. Well, I was wondering, and this might be too too modern of an interpretation. I'm not sure that it's legitimate for this era, but I was wondering if they were thinking of planets, meaning did they know that there were stars that give off light and stars that reflect light the way the moon reflects light? And I don't know. I don't know that they, that they really saw far enough for that. Yeah, I agree with you, but it's, but it's an interesting passage because like, then how would they know that that star existed? What kind of, what type of body, heavenly body are they talking about that wouldn't give off light, but also that they understood was out there? The, the whole thing was very interesting to me. The Haketiv, right, Halu called Tzva'av, right? And so it was written in the Pasuk beforehand, right, in Kuf Memchet Pasuk Bet in, in verse 2, praise him, praise Hashem, all his Tzva'ot, meaning his lesions, right, which is supposed to be all of his stars, right? Even the stars that don't give off light everybody's going to to praise God. So I, first of all, I think it's interesting that in the middle of the majority of the Pesukim being brought here sort of as an objection uh, to say that no, really, or means day, this one brings even, you know, is to say no, or actually means night. But yet, I don't know why it's then it's a Metis day. Like, why is that an objection, right? You're, you're actually proving your point about the Mishnah itself. Um, and again, I, you know, I don't have an answer and I wonder if anybody out there does. I don't quite understand this line of the Gemara, right? What are they referring to when they talk about stars that are not Mi'irim, that do not give off light? Um, anything else you want to add to that, Anne, before I move on to my second point? Um, I have something to say, but I'm going to wait to see. You might cover it in your okay. second point. The, so I'm going to hold off. The second thing I want to point out here is more of a structural thing about this stuff. So what I also found interesting is first the Gemara works through, you know, typical Midrash Halacha, but bringing objection or trying to bring proofs about what the word or means from Psukim. And then after it's done with the Psukim, after it's done with the Torah Shabbatav, it then moves on to Torah Shabbatav and brings a series of Tanaitic statements, Mishnahs or Brisas, that also try to prove based on how a particular Halacha was described in a brisa, right, whether or not or could actually mean day or could it actually mean evening. And so I thought from a, you know, just from a structure point of view, it's interesting that it's organized that way, right? Like first we have the Torah Shabbat proofs um, or objections that we need to work through. And then after we've done short Torah Shabbat then we're going to move on to our Torah Shabbat objections or proofs. And I I have to believe that that is a very deliberate 
um, you know, organizational organization of the DAF itself. Oh, I'm certain of that. I, I think that we, as we go through this, we will see, if nothing else, um, that there is tremendous, uh, as I said, attention to the language and attention to the organizing principles. E- even if we might have to work hard to suss them out, I think Chazal very much knew what they were doing here. Um, I just wanted to note that there's no disputing the fact that this means the evening, right? Whether or means day or or means night or evening, whatever, right? Whatever it is that or means in the Mishnah, the time that you go to check out for chametz to make sure that you don't have any chametz in your house, everybody agrees, right? That that is going to be the evening of the 14th of the month of Nisan. Or Larbasar means the, the evening of the 14th. Nobody's saying maybe you should really go in the afternoon before the 14th, or maybe you should really hold off until the daytime of the 14th itself. So as much as there is such great effort to figure out exactly what this word or means and how could it possibly mean the evening, nobody suggests that the timing here means anything other than the evening. I think that's a great point to make, right? It's not that there, there's no interpretation of the Mishnah from the Gemara that it could possibly mean evening, but sorry, that it could possibly mean day. But basically the Gemara is sort of trying to work through, okay, but can we say calling it or is actually consistent with what we see in Torah Shabbat and what we see in Torah Shabbat And it is difficult for them to try to find that consistency. Sure, because or shouldn't that mean day? It should mean but day. this is but it's but it's one of those things that I find to be particularly interesting here in terms of what halacha was known in terms of practice. Everybody knows when you do bidikat chametz. Everybody knows that. Little kids know that that is the procedure of bidikat chametz. You get it gets dark and you go with your your candle and your broom and whatever. Right? Everybody knows this plan. You don't do that in the daytime. Nobody thinks you do that in the daytime. But what the Gemara doesn't think you do that in the daytime. Right. The but Mishnah doesn't also, think you do that in the daytime. But what's also interesting about that is, is that all the Torah says is to get rid of your chametz. There's no detail about when. So there could have been a discussion that was entertained that maybe you do do it during the day, but there isn't. Like they understand it has to be done at night, even though. That is not explained explicitly in the Torah itself when it talks about when you get rid of your chametz. So, like I'm saying, right, I, I'm saying here, that more of you know to emphasize what you're saying, Anne. Like it's just understood this took place in the evening. And I'll tell you, here's another proof for it, and it's from within our own Mishnah. We don't need to go as far as the Gemara is figuring out where it's from because the Mishnah says, "Bodkinet haner." What are you doing with a candle? checking in the daylight you should not need a candle to check in the daylight because you should be able to see without it right and i do know people who nowadays will check a lit room as opposed to a dark room with a candle or with a flashlight for the hope of you know checking better to see to make sure that you're really catching all your your chametz but the implication here is the moment you light that candle it's to shed light on a place that is otherwise dark how can it be dark if it's not evening again I know I'm I'm belaboring the point, right? The the idea here is just that everybody agrees that it's night. The question is, why is this word used when it isn't quite the meaning that you would expect to be evening? And I like the idea, you mentioned this here, Dan, I like the idea that they wanted to start with something more more joyous, more hopeful than the gloom of dark. 
So they use or to mean evening, even though that's kind of counterintuitive. Right, except now that I'm thinking this through, you know, out loud with you, it's interesting to me because the miracle of Pesach takes place in the middle of the night. And in other words, there in a way like that Geula comes in the middle, that redemption comes in the middle of the night, right? Like we say, you know, it's, it's Chatzot Laila, right? That, that midnight point of the night is when all of this happens. So there's something about the night that to me is very much tied up in the actual miracle that we're celebrating. I have to think about this more. There's something here. I'm not sure what it is yet. But but so so okay. no, I, I you have time. No, I agree with you. I think well again, we'll see many examples of the euphemism. But if there was ever a place where maybe you could have used the word Lila, maybe it is here because Lila with the story of Pesach actually represents Gua. It represents something uh tremendous. It's not something to be scared of. So now I'm gonna be pedantic for a moment and note that at least ideally, right, this is supposed to be evening time whereas lila and certainly the yitzhak mitzrayim the exodus from egypt lila the night time is really the middle of the night as opposed to uh, now i should say i have to my chagrin i have in fact checked for chametz done bedikat chametz in the middle of the night but that is not the way it's supposed to happen you're supposed to do it in the evening you're supposed to be perhaps a little better prepared than sometimes i have been in my life so right the idea of doing it in the evening I don't know. I think it's an interesting idea that or conveys this evening time. Again, it's what you said, it's this kind of euphemistic thing that has to mean evening because everybody knows it's evening. And I wonder if that also doesn't help him, help Rabbi Hudanasi. If everybody knows it's the evening, then if you use some wacko word that doesn't mean evening, maybe you're okay. Maybe. Well, we'll find out. We have many more dappim to go through and we're excited to start this journey of Masach Sakim. So with that, we'll conclude. That's our DAP discussion for the day. Bring us, review us on all major podcasts. Thank you to Rabbi Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Let us know what you thought about the beginning of Masakup Sachim and our Talking Talmud Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn.